Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up! You might have heard of the Iron Triangle of software development. Cost, quality, and speed. Choose two. How about the Iron Triangle of engineering leadership? No, it's not a new Game of Thrones episode, but it is an extremely useful tool for implementing leadership across your organization. In this version, you choose amongst do, lead, and strategize. In this episode, Ledge talks with engineering director Colin Henry about how to prioritize those roles for your team members and yourself so you can together build a stronger operation. Ledge and Colin also talk about the importance of KPIs to measure what is truly valuable to your team and what's in store for the future of remote work. Colin, good to have you. Nice to have you on, man. Hey, Ledge. Thanks for having me. Can you just give like a you know, two or three minute background of yourself and your work? Let the uh, listeners get to know you a little bit. Sure. My name is Colin Henry. Uh, I've been a director of engineering, senior manager for companies big and small, spent some time at GE, spent some time at Hewlett Packard, uh, spent time in some smaller startups like Aptio and Simply Measured. Uh, I live here in Seattle, Washington uh, with my wife and my dog. Um, and just trying to try and generally, you know, do good work and, you know, lead as best I can. Off mic, you and I were talking a little bit about the experience of moving in and out of, you know, sort of, um, engineering, tactical doing things and leadership of engineers and also, you know, the sort of the, maybe the whiteboard time of, you know, just deep hardcore strategy. And, and I theorized that, you know, maybe you can't do all those things at the same time as much as we want to. What's your experience been on the, the balance of those maybe three core areas? Yeah, I, I think you hit something on something very true in that statement. Um, you know, and to fill in the listeners, we're talking about, you know, you can, you can do, you can lead, or you can strategize and pick two. And anyone who's ever dealt with the Iron Triangle knows you can only pick two. Um, that's a triangle most people try and stretch in, in, in all directions at every, every given day. And I think it's true, you know, of people in general, right? They try and do everything all at once and as many times as possible. Um, I, I think for me, uh, you know, spending time in those different segments while only doing two at a time is kind of been the balance in my career and has kind of given me, at least in, you know, the conversations I have, the jack of all trades kind of moniker, you know, stapled to my forehead. Um, because I've, I've done the do, I've done the leadership and I've done the strategize, right? But I think to your point, it's, it's pick two, right? You, you spend the time leading and strategizing, but you don't get your hands, you know, in the muck every day. You can lead and you can do, which I mean, if, you know, you've ever spent any time as a, as a dev lead or, you know, program manager. That that's your that's your bread and butter every single day, um, and then the strategize and, and and do piece is always this weird situation because you've got the people who are you know leading and doing, and you've got the part where people are strategizing and leading, and both of them feel that okay we've got this covered, but they they're not looking from okay how does the strategy that you you know laid out on the whiteboard with your with your bosses or your exec team, you know, six months ago, actively translating 
down to boots on the ground. And I, I found myself in that situation on more than a couple of occasions where it's you, you kind of look at your CEO and it's like uh, the strategy you were going after is not actively getting translated or if it is getting translated, it's not working. You, you have to try again. And even with all the KPIs, sometimes it really requires you to have that one person that's just not going to lie to you, you know, go out with you for a beer, regardless of what level they're at, you know, and just say, it's not working. We need to do something different. So. Yeah. You talk about KPIs. That's interesting because KPIs of development teams, I mean, I've read, endless articles, talk to tons of tech leads. There doesn't seem to be a lot of agreement around those. I just wonder like, okay, in the, in the trenches there, you've worked for some really big, you know, sort of stalwart engineering works and some startups. So, you know, what should be measured for a dev team? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of what Drucker, Peter Drucker used to say, what gets measured gets managed. And you have to ask yourself what really matters for your team in either sh- showing A, they're productive, B, they're delivering results or some measure between those two, right? So for me, it was always, particularly in the larger companies, because they always have their big, you know, set programs with their metrics and all that kind of stuff. And I was always, I was kind of always kind of the startup guy that was, you know, thumbing their nose at, uh, at everybody. And getting the support from the executives, which drove the program managers absolutely nuts. Um, but I always looked at it from two axes. One, individual productivity. And two, the team delivering on the promises. Right. So the, these metrics work in both the agile kind of world and the guys that are still doing waterfall. Or, or even, you know, the guys who are doing scrum or fall. Uh, the guys who sit somewhere in between, right? So I, I look at, you know, you know, successful builds. I look at, you know, total coverage. And what I mean is test coverage there. And that's kind of, that always can be kind of a woo-woo metric. Um, but I get pretty specific on it, um, on the tactical side. Uh, I look at, you know, what's our churn if we're doing agile, right? What are our commits versus what we complete? And what do we toss out? Right. Because if you're dealing with a team that is kind of newly formed, you're not going to have the steady metrics of, okay, we know we consistently deliver X amount of work over the the defined time period. So I actually work with the the guys above me. It's like, look, these metrics are going to be all over the map, probably for about three to six months while we figure this out. And you're going to have to be comfortable with that. Like, I grew up in a military family, and one of the things my dad drilled into my head was VUCA. You know, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And you have to be comfortable with all those if you're starting a new engineering team. And even when you're fixing an engineering team, right? So I've walked into a couple of situations where they're like, just help, please, anything you can do. Move the needle. And it's, okay, these metrics are not going to look pretty for the first three to six months, and you just need to be comfortable with that. Um, and, and generally I've been, I've been really lucky in having, you know, exec teams that I've worked with and, and worked for that have been incredibly supportive in that, especially when I'm, when I'm trying to fix something. Uh, but it's also making them understand what's going on. Um, so perfect story. I had a, uh, I had a large company I worked for. I'm not going to tell you which one. Um, I came in post V1 and they had their first security vulnerability and it was a doozy. Um, someone had hard coded a password into the product 
and I sat down and worked looked at my build engineers. I said, okay, how quickly can we turn out a new build with the code modification? And they said three to five days. And I kind of I kind of looked at them rather perplexed, and I was like, okay, um, humor me for a second. Anytime we need to push a change, how long does it take? Three to five days. And I, I went okay, and we took the three to five days and went through the went through the system and, and got the got the fix out and made sure all of our customers were back to good and secure. And then I burnt it all down. <laughs> Because I found out the three to five days was taken because they were still manually doing builds. They had no CI/CD pipeline whatsoever. So it's like, okay, well, we start with the basics. We start with the CI/CD platform and go through that entire, you know, exercise. And then we started looking at code coverage, and the code coverage was somewhere around five percent. And it was for only, yeah, it was for only the really gnarly uh, sections of code that that the senior the senior lead who had recently left and really was the only guy writing tests, wrote tests for it. So when I when I actually pulled my boss and my boss's boss in and, and said, look, I'm just gonna give you a standard report, this is where we're at. And they kind of looked at me and they wanted to start they wanted to start yelling and then realized I had only been there like a month, month and a half. Um, they said, okay, how do you plan to fix it? I was like, funny you should ask that. Went to the next slide, entire list of things that I had thought about over the previous you know two weeks of like, okay, these are all the things we need to fix and do that assessment. And going through, okay, once you have those, what, how quickly can you deliver? And then when we, did, when we did the napkin mouth calculations, we went from releasing, you know, once every six months to once every quarter. And then by the following year, we're, we were releasing once a month. Um, and then just increasing that velocity. So. Yeah, release velocity is is very much going to be uh, that comes up a lot as a as a key metric on you mentioned personal productivity you're going to measure that in a throughput capacity i look at it in a you know is this guy or girl hitting their commits right when they commit to do something in a given sprint right and when things get tossed out right that happens at a team level for the reporting and above but from the from looking below and how i have to lead a team day to day i look at that individual it's like okay who needs a stick who needs a carrot who's going through a rough time in their life who desperately needs a vacation like had that team i just talked about two-thirds of that team needed a vacation when i joined so i i had to start putting people on mandatory vacation and cycle them through while we got through it um so it, it's it's keeping an eye i mean it's you can still be in the lead and strategize and look at code, but your really depth of understanding of what's going on is going to be, you're going to have to give up the strategy part or the leadership part um, to, to, to really spend time with that. If you're trying to understand what's going on and giving that, giving that advice. Um, so, cause it's, it's all comes down to, you know, time and attention, right? We deal with this on a daily basis. Like how many times are you going to look at Facebook? How many commits are you going to get done in a day? How many meetings are you going to sit through, right? Your, your attention is divided up, right? On a, on a daily basis. And it's just a matter of what you choose to focus your attention on in, in that, in that time. And, you know, sometimes you can, sh in the, in the course of a, a, a given role, you can shift between those three. Right. To go back to the point, we can shift between those three, but you can only pick two in any, any given time. Right. So the, the individual productivity piece really comes down to, you know, understanding the person's work day to day. Right. And you can tell that through commit velocity. You can do that through, you know, what are the, what are they committed to for the sprint? 
right? Or the iteration um, or the release and just being in tune with, with those people, because if you're leading them, they are your people. You're responsible for getting them through the nasty stuff and helping them enjoy the good stuff. So, so I imagine you've been, you know, obviously we're talking a lot about big organizations and, you know, mm -hmm. fix it up as the leader, you know, all these things where there's a lot more tolerance for sort of take some time, you know, fix some things. Yep. You've probably also been the solo engineer, you know, yeah. in, in startup land. And yep. I think we find, you know, a lot of our folks end up there, at least on some projects. And, yep. you know, maybe they're on a 50 person team, but, you know, sometimes they're the de facto, you know, they're CEO, coder, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I wonder in that situation how you deal with um, code reviews or, you know, sort of checking yourself when you're literally the only person in the repo. Yeah, I mean that's that's where you know, as 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 my as my uh, my wife's close friend would say, it's all about your mise en place, right? To pull it to pull a culinary technique out there, right? It's it's your organization, it's your self discipline, right? To to get yourself through that. And for me, it's always been you know going back to the basic of test coverage, and you know what? How often can I get something in front of somebody else? Regardless of whether they're looking at the code, um, when I was at a company called UserMind, I was the I was the first employee and a, the really the first engineer. Um, I worked with the CTO, but the CTO was so busy helping set up the organization and helping raise money, he didn't have time to to help build the prototype. So getting getting a code review from him was pretty much a non-starter, uh, despite him being a very technically capable uh, person. So I would write tests and I would shove versions of the product in front of the two founders as quickly as possible. Uh, so going through that, but there's always, you know, you know, deployment jitters. And especially when you're working as a, as a, as a solo artist, uh, so to speak. Um, perfect example. I was in, uh, it was, it was demo day for Andreessen Horowitz and, I was sitting back at the home office while the two founders were down in uh, San Jose and they had given me a rough time, uh, time scales to when, you know, the pitch was going to happen and when the demo was going to happen. So I made sure everything was, you know, ready to rock and roll about two minutes into the demo. I start seeing error log, log error messages, like things are going wrong. So it's like, okay, I can't just let this fail in front of them. It's my responsibility. It's my ownership. I reboot the entire system in front of them. And fortunately, because, you know, there was a lack of sessions and it was a pure prototype environment, the demo kept going without a hitch and they never experienced anything except for one small glitch that the CTO caught out of the corner of his eye when they were doing the click-through demo. Uh, so you're always going to have, you know, the the preparation and the mise en place, right? You're gonna go, you're gonna go through and do all the stuff, and you're gonna do it to your to the best of your ability. But when the time comes, you need to own it, right? You own it at the end of the day, um, and, and being there to literally kick the server if you need to is ultimately your responsibility. There's not another DevOps guy that's there to help you. There's not another whole team behind you. It's just you, um, and. I mean, another example was when I was very early at, uh, at something measured, uh, I was working with the CTO and I 
like we talked about in pre-interview, I, I, I took over a good chunk of the, anal- the core analytics platform. So when, when we shipped that, um, I was on, on deployment night, I was, I was sitting there cranking out code, you know, and, and cl- cranking out the deployment, you know, on repeat with the, with Europe's the final countdown, you know, playing in perpetuity until we got it done. It was kind of a, you know, nice little drive us crazy kind of thing to force us to get it done. Uh, but I, you're there, you're forcing it, you're, you're forcing code out, you're making sure it works, you're, you know, you're, you know, rounding square pegs and trying to put them in the hole when, uh, when you have to. So it's, uh, it's, it's always interesting because I was talking with, uh, a former boss of mine not too long ago. He got, he, cause he had to get stuck doing IC work for, for a little while. Cause this guy, his guys were so slammed that he had to, you know, sit there and do stuff. And he goes, I have to apologize if I ever thought that I could shove you into an IC role while being a leader in, in my organization. When how's that? It's like, Cause it's really hard to switch that context. And was like, yeah, you really have to be ready for it. Don't you? He goes, yeah, I do. And it's like, you, you don't get that kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, delay or, or time to adjust to you. He goes, no, you don't. Something to think about for the future when you bring leaders in and you make them do IC work. So. So you've, you've had some experience in the, the crazy engineering market. I don't know if you're paying attention. You know, we obviously are immersed in the data of the labor market and it's, it's tighter than I've ever seen. Um, you know, I'm wrong along the engineering lines. Um, prices increasing, you know, people's yep. expectations not decreasing. And I just wonder, you know, last question, you know, sort of broad thinking around where where things are going you know for remote and freelance and w2 and you know there's just so much going on now i think i think companies have to get more flexible and they have to get comfortable with paying outside of their pay bands um because i'm at the end of the day i'm a capitalist and the market's the market's going to bear what the market's going to bear and I was having a really interesting conversation with a corporate recruiter that had been about a year ago, year and a half ago. And they're like, the H1B, so, so prices are going to come down, right? I'm, I'm kind of looking at them. It's like, you obviously have no concept of economics or politics. You just tightened the market, which means prices are going to go through the roof. And at least through the local demographics uh, of here in Seattle, they have. They've gone kind of crazy. Um, anyone who's familiar with the whole Amazon HQ2 you know, his story is, you know, that's proof in the pudding, right? They, they can't afford to shove any more engineers in downtown Seattle because they own all of the real estate in downtown Seattle at this point. And they need more places and they need more engineers. And everyone else is in the same boat at a lesser degree. So when you have a restricted supply and unlimited demand, what happens? The price goes up. So, I mean, the, really the only way to fix it is increase the you know the pool of engineers and technical talent and that's that takes time you know for for all we all we talk about code.org and and, you know the the journeyman programmer i'll put it that way uh getting them to a technical acumen that may be of interest to an amazon or a microsoft or an aptio or simply measured that's a very steep ramp and it takes a lot of time. Um, so my, my particular focus when I, when I talk to my alma mater is I try and give them as much practical advice as I possibly can about, you know, 
increase increasing the student body and increasing the the variety of skills that those students come out with because ultimately that's what helps differentiate them in the market um, and and get them a better paying job great insights Colin it's good to have you man you as well thanks for listening to the frontier podcast produced by gun.io we're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers if you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.